We deny that any contradiction exists within Scripture on the subject of divorce and remarriage, and we deny that it is sinful to separate or live apart from a promiscuous or abusive spouse. There's a rather dramatic start to the faith debate, huh? <laughs> yes, you got the right show. This is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. I'm Troy Skinner. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Uh, Imran Razvi and Daniel Razvi back on the panel to uh, continue to work our way through the Chicago Statement on Biblical Application. Uh, came out back in 1986, and it's more relevant today than it was back then. We've been reading through it. I just read the denials for Article 7 on divorce and remarriage. We ended last week's show with uh, the affirmations from Article 7, but we didn't have a chance to talk about them yet. So today we're going to start the show talking about divorce and remarriage. Uh, um, I encourage you to, to uh, find out more about what the Razvis do with their ministry at uh, Concord Bike. It has to do with divorce and remarriage and mar- saving marriages and those sorts of things and family dynamics. So it's right on topic. Conqueredbylove.org is their website, Conquered by Love Ministries. And I'm not sure if I mentioned uh, my website, but in case I didn't, it's householdoffaithinchrist.com. So divorce, not good. Uh, we need to try to avoid it. We try to save the marriage. It shouldn't just be a default situation. Oh, you're not getting along anymore. Well, then we can end it. We should try to, to fight for it. Uh, and, and the church should work to that end. That's a big part of the affirmations. Uh, what are some of the other big themes? What's interesting is they do not mention remarriage and how that should be dealt with in the church. I'm surprised because they seem to have tackled every other topic. Well, they didn't, uh, I mean, they did say, in the denial, they mentioned uh, uh, that there's any contradiction, that we deny that any contradiction exists within Scripture on the subject of divorce and remarriage. I think that, so they don't tell you what their I, position on it is. They're I just saying they whatever the Bible says, it doesn't contradict. Right. And I think <laughs> what happened is the group of people making this uh, statement could couldn't not agree. quite agree on whether remarriage is ever acceptable. And so maybe we can... Be, some of them may be remarried. Yeah, some of them may actually have been prior to divorce. And so they could they could only say in agreement that there is no contradiction in Scripture, and the the trouble is they're, they're pointing to passages in the Old Testament where Moses clearly lays out a lot of prescriptions for how remarriage should work if you're going to do it, and then Jesus says, well, God didn't even really want you to do that. He wanted Adam and Eve to live just the two of them, not even have multiple wives, even though there's all these prescriptions for if you have this and if you have so. There's, a, there's God's best plan, and then there's all these other things that sometimes happen that God's not saying, like, this is definitely, you're going to go to hell if you do this, but um, it's not what he wants from us. And, and so I think there's part of that. But there's also many Christians that would believe, and I know some churches, many churches, that you'd be disfellowshipped if you were remarried after having been divorced um, because they would consider that you are living in adultery currently. Um, so, Daniel, what you're saying is, don't drown, but if you drown, there's CPR. I, I, I guess, so, but, but and so that so I guess that's the that's the question though is is what, what happens? I mean, to, to remarry because there's two ways to read that passage, right? It says he that marries a divorced woman woman um, commits adultery, and if you divorce somebody that did not cheat on you, then you're causing her to become an adulteress. But then the flip side is well, then that's because she was already adulterous if you divorced her for that. So. Um, in any case, adultery is the result of all this. And so are you openly living in adultery if you're remarried? So that, that's, that's the question. I think a lot of it, it is telling that even the consummate theologians, no pun intended, that, <laughs> that drafted the statement don't have a clear answer on it. Um, 
that's that's interesting to me. So I don't know what else I have to say about that other than... Yeah, and it's interesting that they, you know, in the article title itself, it says Article 7, Divorce and Remarriage. But doesn't even... And then it really doesn't address it. it. It mentions it one time, but doesn't say anything about it in mentioning it. They would have been better off if it just Article 7, Divorce. Yes. Right. That would have made more sense. So, Troy, let's get together and add a denim to this. <laughs> <laughs> might take us some time to draw it all out. Yeah, well, I, I will say this. It is something that local churches, uh, the leadership teams, tend to grapple with. Uh, either they, they're smart enough to get ahead of it, like, okay, what's our policy on this going to be? How are we going to handle that? Because well, you're going to deal with messy relationships. How, how are we as a church going to try to handle this? Or you're forced to then come up with some sort of, okay, this is how we understand it. Because it is, it is uh, uh, I don't want to say it's messy, uh, well, it's just as prevalent inside the church as outside the church. And so most pastors are um, <coughs> afraid to address it because they don't want to lose half the people. And, and also, what's the solution, right? So you get, you get a couple that comes to your church with four kids, and all of these four kids were born in this marriage, but they have each been married previously. If your solution, as the Mennonite church often is, is to make them separate, separate forcibly. I don't know that that's good for the kids. Right, but yeah. you could then argue, if you want to be a devil's advocate, you could argue the same is true of a homosexual couple that comes in and gets married, I mean, gets uh, saved, and now they got these two kids they adopted or whatever. Um, I think all Christians would agree that you they need to be separated, so you still have the same issue. Um, there are still Somehow consequences. there are consequences. Sin, sin has consequences. So, I don't know. I'm not saying I agree with the Mennonite position on it, but they are consistent um, with that. Yeah, and, and it might seem like a cop out. Um, I've, and I've only in you know, all all my time in church leadership, I've only only had to address this the divorce question specific. Not marriages on the cusp of divorce. Deal with that more frequently than you care to have to <laughs> deal with it. But those who are actually divorced and now they're like they want to get remarried or what does this mean? I've only had to deal with that one time. Wow. You know, and so that's. It's tough, and then you're, you want to be you want to be sure is, you're right because it's there's so many ramifications. If there are kids involved and stuff, there's so many ramifications. You want to be so sure you're right. What is clear? There is a specific type of remarriage that's very explicitly condemned in Scripture. If you get divorced, marry somebody else, and then get divorced again, you may not go back to the first spouse. It does say that very unequivocally. I, I would say Scripture is very clear on that. Um, I don't know how often that scenario happens, but often enough for God to think it was necessary to put it in. Scripture. Right, right. Um, and I think the point of that really is you can't just keep wife swapping. You can't go back and forth, right? That's that's the idea. You can't Because mm-hmm. now you're no better than somebody who's not married. You're just sleeping around at that point. That was the name of a t- and, TV show, by the way. <laughs> wife swap. And again, it does say we affirm that God forgives repentant sinners. So if somebody does divorce and comes to understand that there was sin and repents, it's not an unforgivable sin. Right. But the question is now, are they allowed to get married again? And I think I make the distinction personally is if uh, it was somebody already saved at the time, was it, a, was it a, uh, a marriage of two saved individuals originally? And if they weren't, you know, now you're starting a new life. You are a new creature. So there's that aspect. But yeah, I, I just grabbed a pen and I circled the, this article to remind myself, maybe this would be a topic that would be good to do a series of shows with some practical real world examples of how we would try to navigate through scripture to address what some of those specific examples are. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'll have a whole bunch pop into my head now. We'll, we'll just spend the next forever talking about it. And that's right. not the purpose of what we're doing here. So, so let's so, talk about sexual deviation. Oh, okay. Hey, <laughs> Just what I was looking forward to. If you, if you weren't, 
If you weren't awake yet, you are now. Article 8, sexual deviations. I don't know what that means. Let's find out. We affirm that Scripture reveals God's standards for sexual relationships, deviation from which is sinful. We affirm that sexual intercourse is legitimate only in a heterosexual marriage relationship. We affirm that God's grace in Christ can deliver men and women from bondage to deviant sexual practice, uh, be they heterosexual or homosexual, and the church must assume responsibility for restoring such members to a life that honors God. That's very controversial these days, by the way. We <laughs> affirm that God loves homosexuals as well as other sinners and that homosexual temptations can be resisted in the power of Christ to the glory of his grace, just as other temptations can. We affirm that Christians must, ex must exercise a compassion, kindness, and forgiveness in the ministry of God's grace to those whose lives have been scarred by sexual deviations. We affirm that human fulfillment does not depend on satisfying sexual drives, hedonism, and related philosophies encouraging promiscuous sexuality uh, are wrong and lead to ruin. And there's one more affirmation. I'm going to pause after the affirmations. We affirm that pornography threatens the well-being of individuals, families, and entire societies, and that it is incumbent upon Christians to seek to check its production and distribution. Well, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah. It's like the biggest industry on the Internet. So pornography is unfortunately. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Uh, you know that again, they're not covering as much as as people might like them to cover today because there's a lot more sexuals than heterosexual and homosexual now. There's 15 other types of. Sexual. In fairness, in 1986, I don't think this other stuff was on the radar. Yeah, I don't and, think it was on our radar 15 years ago, right? I mean, at least in, on my personal radar, it wasn't something I was thinking a lot about yeah. 15 years ago. Yep, it was at most a footnote or a joke and about transsexuals or transvestites, right? And but the language now, was different. When I was younger, you didn't call them all these trans words. They were a cross-dresser. Right. Right? But nobody, when's the last time you heard somebody call a cross Like, that language doesn't exist anymore. Right. So our whole perspective on these sorts of things is very... So in fairness to these guys, back in the 1980s, they weren't thinking about that but stuff. But it does say, you know, the, the, the statement is too truthful. Um sexual intercourse is legitimate only in a heterosexual marriage relationship. And that's still true today. Yep, absolutely. As generally defined. Now, one thing I, I, I was a little bit hesitant on, we affirm that God loves homosexuals as well as other sinners and that homosexual temptations can be resisted in the power of Christ to the glory of his grace. The second part is, is I agree with, but the first part, God loves homosexuals as well as other sinners. We hear this phrase a lot. Usually, only the first half of the sentence we hear a lot. Oh, God loves gay people too. God loves gay people too. And they don't follow through with, and you can resist that temptation just like you can resist other temptations. However, is it, do we want to say that it's true that God loves all homosexuals? Not, not because they're homosexual, but does God love all sinners? And because that's, now we get into the reformed doctrine, right? God loved the world, right? But does, did, did he, does he love specifically all individual people and all the sinners? Yeah, I think a better uh, thing would be God loves sinners, including homosexuals. Not, they're not separated out. But mm -hmm. I think that uh, would be... I wouldn't say that God doesn't love all people. Um, God, it does say God uh, is not willing that any should perish, so he doesn't wish that anybody would perish. And God loved us while yet we were sinners. Right. And I think this word today... Whether that was sin of homosexuality or sin of murder or sin of adultery or any other type of sin, right? So I, I don't, all that to say, I don't really disagree with it, but... Well, I, if these guys were to write this today, I think they'd be a little more careful. 
because our, the language, because of all of the things you just mentioned, there's like, I don't know, 60 plus different uh, God genders, loves, supposedly, yeah. and all. it's and, very confusing. Uh, and we've, we've gotten very careful. I think a lot of people in the church have begun to see the need to be very careful of how, how are we using the word homosexual? Are we using it as an identity? Or was he using it as a as a label for a particular kind of sin, and so the way they phrased it here, it's almost like it's an identity. So we could say uh, we affirm that God loves homosexuals, blah 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 blah. Could be we affirm that God loves murderers, God loves pedophiles, God loves like at some point, uh, I think we get into the problem of people saying, well, I'm I'm a gay Christian. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm a mur- I'm a I'm a murdering Christian. No, you're not. You know, so we the, using these words in in a way that brings the identity forward can be problem, and they they're right on the cusp of doing that in the way they've worded. And I don't this think here. that was the intention, but somebody today would read this as an identity thing, right? Oh, God loves homosexuals. Yeah. It's like God loves gays. Uh, you, as in, He created them gay, which is not what we want to say. We don't want to say that God created them this way that 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 He created them to to experience that type of pleasure. Um, no, I mean. There are different people struggle with different temptations. Yeah, look, if you're, if you're a thief and you turn to Christ, you're a sinner because you're a thief, and God, through his grace and mercy, is going to dem- demonstrate love towards you and you save you. You go around saying, God made me a thief, but I was able to overcome it. No, you say, God made me a sinner. <laughs> I mean, no, God made me in the way, you know, is that how you say it? I was a <laughs> sinner, but God created me. God created me, and I was a sinner because of original sin and because of my sin nature. I was a sinner. And one of my sins was I was a thief, and I've been delivered from all that. That's how you would really say it, right? Yeah, you wouldn't say I'm a thieving Christian. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. That wouldn't so be watch our, your purses. I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to thieve. Yeah, that wouldn't be our identity anymore. Identity right. is in Christ. And so, anyway, it's, again, we're, we're looking back. I, I think if they were to rewrite this today, they would cha- change that a little bit. And at the uh, time, they were probably uh, yelled at for saying that it's a slippery, cur- slippery slope. Well, that slope was very slippery, and we slipped very far. Very yeah, it was, a, it was a slippery cliff. I don't think we did the, uh, the denials yet, so right. saying on this same theme, the, we deny that homosexual practice can ever please God. We deny that heredity, childhood conditioning, or other environmental influences can excuse deviant sexual behavior. We deny that the sexual molestation or exploitation of children in general and incestuous relationships in particular can never be justified. We deny that it is hopeless to look for deliverance from homosexual practices or other forms of sexual deviancy. We deny that the healing of sexual deviancy is aided by condemnation uh, without compassion or by compassion without the application of scriptural truth in confident hope. So this we didn't talk about in the, in the affirmations, but this is really controversial, uh, you know, saying somebody, I, I think it's actually against the law now in Canada. And well, California. In California. Well, oh, is that right? Okay. Here, here they're saying you shouldn't just condemn it without compassion. Here is what they're saying. Don't condemn it without compassion. Have compassion. But you can condemn it and should. Um, I agree. And also you can't have compassion without the application of scriptural truth, right? So you can't just say, oh, I feel for you. You're a gay person. That's okay. Yeah, but the thing that's illegal in Canada and apparently in California is if, if somebody's gay and they come to you at your and church and uh, you can't do therapy to try to help them overcome that sin. Right. Otherwise, you're, you're breaking their law. They'll put you in jail. Well, let me rephrase. You can do it and should do it. <laughs> well, ab- right. You will be put in jail for Yes, this. yes. According to their, their, uh, their, their satanic legal code, you're not yes. supposed to do it. Yes. <laughs> so, 
Uh, all right, we're gonna. What did you say about this recording session not being so controversial? Trip? Yeah. Earlier, you were saying. Yeah. Well, something about that. I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'm not a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> Article nine. Uh, this is. A, there's a lot of words on this page, boy. The state under God. I'll be curious to see how this holds up, given what we now know over the last few years, and how they might have changed things, hmm. and how they said things. Or, and how horrible we were at living up to the standard if they got it right. Well, let's see. We affirm that God established civil government as an instrument of his common grace to restrain sin, to maintain order, and to promote civil justice and general well-being. Hmm. What do we think? Uh, I think it's clear in the Bible that he sometimes put people in power to punish Israel, and they weren't designed for this purpose. But the overall establishment of civil government, the purpose of government, is that, I think. Yeah, I, I, I get nervous about the general well-being. Boy, you could drive a Mack truck through that That's opening. True. That's true. <laughs> I think they wouldn't have said it that way now, knowing how abusive the powers uh, well, have proven to be. this is actually kind of a quote from our, our uh, Constitution, right? We the people uh, establish justice and promote the general welfare, right? That's a quote. This last phrase here is a quote from the preamble. Yeah, well, you know, our Constitution um, uh, isn't as airtight as we would like it to be. Yeah. You know, it, it's great and it's wonderful. I'm not disparaging it, but it's not as airtight as we would like it to be. And we don't even have one anymore. Who are we kidding? Yeah. <laughs> it's not worth the paper it's written on anymore. We affirm that God gives civil governments the right to use coercive force for the defense and encouragement of those who do good and for the just punishment of those who do evil. To use coercive force for the encouragement of those who do good. Like, how would you use coercive force for somebody who does good? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense to me. Well, well, uh, you can protect those people who are doing good is what, from people who would do them evil. Oh, so you're defending them against the bad guys, and this the, therefore provides encouragement to those. Like, oh, good, they're right. pro protecting me. Is that what they mean? Mm -hmm. Okay, I guess I'm okay with that. We affirm that it is proper and desirable that Christians take part in civil government and advocate the enactment of laws for the common good in accordance with God's moral law. Not all Christians would agree with that. I would I agree, do. but yeah, not I all agree. Christians would agree I with agree. that. I um, agree. Yeah. We affirm that it is the duty of Christian people to and pray. So, so I would say that if you do not agree with that, that doesn't mean you're not saved. Yeah, a lot I, of these statements, if you don't agree with that, I'd, I'd say is, I mean, like if you say... Questionable whether they're saved or not. Right. If you don't agree that yeah. you can't be homosexual, then, yeah, I'd, I would say your salvation is questionable. If you don't think God has called you to vote, I, I, I'd maybe disagree with you, but that, that's doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're not saved. So I do want to clarify there's a difference big difference between this article and the one previous where you really need to kind of agree with <laughs> yeah there's a lot of those in, in what's called the pietist so, tradition that they don't think yeah, you should so be involved basically what we're saying is that the uh, not participating with government is not a sin to stay away from the participation of government uh, what this is saying we affirm that we can mm -hmm. and we should but it's not a sin not to right it is proper and desirable but it doesn't say it's required so, anyway. The next one I started to read, but then I, I paused because we had more thoughts on the last one. Uh, it's the duty of Christian people to pray for civil authorities and to obey them, except when such obedience would involve the violation of God's moral law or neglect the God-ordained responsibilities of Christian witness. I wouldn't say so. Yeah, I like that they added that phrase because so, so many times 
particularly in early 2020, we were hearing the argument of unless it's a direct violation of God's moral law, you must do what the government says. But this then adds that little phrase, Christian or neglect witness. the God-ordained responsibilities of Christian witness. Right. And I get into freedom of conscience that issues. That gets into and, the should a church have been closed exactly. to be closed for COVID, right? Because there's no scripture or verse you can point to saying that it's a sin to not meet for several weeks in church. Right, but if that is preventing you from witnessing, that is a big deal. Now, there are three more affirmations. Let me see if I can do all three of these at once. We affirm that governments have a responsibility before God to establish and enforce laws that accord with God's moral law as it pertains to human relations. We affirm that Christ's rule of the church through his word must not be confused with the power he grants to civil governments. Such confusion will compromise the purity of the gospel and will violate the conscience of individuals. And we affirm that when families or churches neglect their biblically out-defined uh, duties, thus jeopardizing the well-being of their members, the state may rightfully intervene. Um, they're, they're arguing against sacralism, so they don't want a blending of church and state here. They're saying that that's yeah, bad. I would agree. I, I don't think so. I think it's a good idea. I'm, I'm for uh, theonomy. No, that's different than sacralism, though. Sacralism is the church is the state, the state is the church. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's oversimplified, but that's basically what it means. I do think theonomy is, is the... A, a good and valid biblical form of government. Yeah, yeah well, we, we might have to, well, if you want to, uh, I guess for your uh, point of view, because there are different ways that people define theonomy. There are different schools of thought. There, there are, there's a variety of people that would say, I'm a theonomist, and what they mean by that is something different than the yeah. other person who said they were a theonomist. I, I, mean, I mean that I, I think the government should be run by Christians, and uh, those should be the ones that are uh, leaders in government, and the government should be following the biblical form uh, prescriptions for what in the Old Testament the the government is commanded to do, the civil government, with uh, respect to uh, punishments and uh, and crimes and and things like that. Um, and it, it should it should be all a uh, godly and non secular. But it's not. So we don't have that choice. They're not Christians in power and. Giving this uh, affirmation that the, the the state has the right to come and take my kids away because they feel that I'm not teaching them the social justice, that's what they're using. And I think this this statement is absolutely unacceptable in today's time. Yeah, I don't think that's what they meant there. I think they're saying, well, uh, right, if, you're, uh, if there's abuse, for example, then the state may intervene. Um, but, the see, jeopardizing the well-being of their members, the state... The, the state can decide what is their well-being. Right. It doesn't so say life. It doesn't that's, say... That's the trouble is defining well-being, right? So what they were trying to say is you got, you got uh, someone molesting uh, uh, somebody or, uh, or beating them up and, and, and putting them in a hospital or whatever, and the state can then go and intervene, right? But what the state has expanded the definition of well-being. Well-being to, to being, oh, you're teaching your kids that there's two genders, and therefore you're endangering their well-being. And yeah. we'll take the kids away. They would probably rewrite either take that out or rephrase it because the problem, this is this kind of, uh, what this opens, I don't think this was their thinking necessarily, but it opens a door to thinking that we saw in 2020 because the government was saying, look, if you open up for church, you're jeopardizing the well-being of your, of your well, members that, and we're going to stop you from like meeting. The, it's like the abortion laws that were crafted with, oh, the well-being or the life of the mother. And then that was changed to, well, the life of the mother. That includes their mental stability, right? Yeah, and, and this is the same weakness with the very first affirmation, which is what I was concerned about with the general well-being phrase, yeah. right? And, and here we are again with this idea of, the, right. of a well-being. Of the, 
that I don't think that's really the state's right. role, but and that, I think they kind of miss it here a little that's bit. That's exactly what they use in Germany to stop people from homeschooling because they feel that homeschooling is against the well-being of the person because they're not well-rounded enough, and that's what caused Nazis. Right? Yeah, you can like like I used the phrase before. You can drive a Mack truck through it, and that's and they will. Yes, they did. They have one right after another. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a convoy, a <laughs> never-ending convoy. We're going to finish up the uh, State Under God article, Article 9, with the denials on our, our next show. Uh, boy, these are flying by. Imran Razvi, Daniel Razvi, I'm Troy Skinner. Thank you for listening to the Faith Debate today. Find us online at WFMD.com, or you can find and connect with me on my social media, contact information, that sort of thing, at householdoffaithinchrist.com. And if you want to get in touch with the Razvis, uh, that's a good place to do it, and it will connect to their ministry as well, Conquered by Love Ministries. Uh, thank you so much for making us part of your day or week or whenever, because now in the podcast era, who knows when you're listening to this. Or, you know... There was some concern as to whether this was a little too heady and academic for some people. So if we've been a good sleep aid to you as you listen to us in podcast, you're welcome. Until next week, 167 and a half hours from now, assuming it's not daylight savings time or all that sort of stuff. God bless.